BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm very open about my hormone struggles, and the biggest game changer for me came when I started wearing an aura ring last year. And that was because it tells me, based on my body temperature fluctuations, when my period is coming, which for anybody with an erratic period like myself is so incredibly helpful. So, It's no surprise that this is an option that so many women are opting for, for hormone-free birth control. So Aura has partnered with Natural Cycles and the way that it works is really cool. So it's basically a hassle-free way to plan or prevent a pregnancy while receiving holistic health tracking benefits of a wearable. So the Aura Ring measures your temperature trends while you sleep and then Natural Cycles uses temperature trend data from Aura to determine your fertility status. So Natural Cycles is the only FDA-controlled birth control app. It's 100% natural, hormone-free, prescription-free, and side effect-free. And Natural Cycle follows strict data protection. So your data is protected by NC Secure, which is a comprehensive privacy protection program. And of course, there are just so many benefits in understanding your cycle and how it impacts your health. So when you can understand your cycle, you have so much insight into how it can impact your sleep, your activity, your habits, no matter where you are in your reproductive health journey. The Aura Ring comes in five beautiful finishes. I have gold, but they're all so nice. And when you sign up for Aura and Natural Cycles, you will receive $30 off an Aura Ring. So visit AuraRing.com slash blonde to learn more about how to take control of your health with Aura and Natural Cycles. Welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there's so much information out there, so I'm bringing on expert guests and sharing my own experiences to help you sift through all the wellness stuff without the BS. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I know that you guys are going to love this episode. I just listened back to it because we recorded a few weeks ago and I always listen back to an episode before it releases. And I try to listen to it from an audience perspective. And I just think not only is this a really fun conversation, my guest and I have really good rapport, but it's so value packed with so many actionable tips and takeaways that you guys can apply to your lives starting right now today for a more fulfilling, balanced life, whatever that looks like for you. So I am talking to repeat guest on the show, Liz Moody. I'm sure she needs no introduction among my audience, but Liz is a content creator. She is the host of the Liz Moody podcast. She's the author of two amazing cookbooks. And then she has a new book called 100 Ways to Change Your Life. And this book is incredible. I recommend it to anybody listening. 
It takes the learnings gathered over thousands of hours of expert interviews that she's conducted and distills them into a hundred distinct habits, shifts, and tools to revolutionize every part of your life. And we go over this in the episode a little bit, but I think it's a really great morning routine book because you can read basically one of these a day and they're just a few pages and really easy to apply to your own life. So we're discussing the book and the concepts today. We talk about kind of reframing wellness, talking about what wellness is and what wellness is not. We talk about how to find your why and kind of how to shift your focus around your goals to feel better and to be more consistent when it comes to the habits that you either currently have or the habits that you want to implement in your own life. We talk about how to do hard things and lean into discomfort. We talk a lot about anxiety and our own experiences with anxiety. And she has a really great tip, which is that we tend to want to overcome the anxiety in the moment, but often we have to wait until we're back into our logical brain, like when the anxiety has passed, to kind of assess the root of that anxiety and decide how to process it. We talk about different methods of dealing with anxiety. We talk about a concept called temptation bundling when it comes to doing things that you don't want to do. We talk about artificially limiting your time. We talk about fear of flying, which is something that we've both dealt with. We've talked about thinking about our death and how that can actually enhance our life and so much more. Oh, we talk about being Swifties. So it's a really fun conversation. I think you guys are going to love it. Again, don't forget to go check out her book, A Hundred Ways to Change Your Life, her podcast, The Liz Moody Podcast. She has so many great guests and so many great interviews. And she also has great content, recipes, all of the things on her social channels. So please enjoy Liz Moody. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. I'm so happy to be back. I'm so happy to have you back. Your third time, I think. Third time, yeah. On the show. I feel like every time you come, so much has changed for both of us, but particularly in your life. I mean, I'm sure like you can look back on COVID kind of being this big turning point. And I think the last time you were on was maybe like 21 or something. So you were just kind of like in the beginning of your nomad life. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And now you have a new book coming out, which is incredible. And we're going to get into all of that today. So first, I wanted to talk to you about something very important. Okay. <laughs> I was not a Swifty until I went. And then you became one. I know I followed your journey. I am so excited for you. I was listening to your journey too. And I was like, I just got to like talk to somebody else about this because I haven't really because your seen friends a lot of people. Of you talking about <laughs> yes, that. And also I've been kind of in like my own little glass case of emotion for the last six weeks. And I haven't gotten to process it with anybody. But I heard you talking about your experience with it. And I was like, that is precisely the experience that I had where it was like a religious experience. It really was though. <laughs> like there's no feeling like singing every single word to a bunch of songs with 70,000 other people. Like yes. there's literally research that shows that when we sing together or create music together, it's one of the closest things to feeling a sense of transcendence that we have. There's research that shows this. And like, that's what I did at the Taylor Swift concert. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting that you say that. I feel like you have research to support everything. <laughs> and we'll get into that again. Like in the book, I'm just like, wow. And you've had so many incredible experts and scientists and doctors and everything on your podcast. But when you said that, I'm like, that makes sense. Because when I was in rehab my last time, we did music therapy, which sounds very cheesy. But <laughs> There was something about it was called Rock to Recovery, and it's like a whole program. Okay, now. that and they sounds go, cheesy. <laughs> it didn't sound cheesy until you called it that. And they go and they do this with like war veterans and people in recovery, and there is something about like sitting there. And we didn't know how to play instruments or anything, but we would learn and make songs together and write them. And it was so silly, but it was like so transformative, healing. Yeah. I think it's a big. Thing that church can offer, mm -hmm. that religious experiences offer, that we've had a hard time capturing in a secular way. And you go to concerts, and I think concerts always feel really special, but 
everybody knowing every lyric is a Taylor Swift singular experience. It There's she doesn't have singles. Crazy. She everybody knows every lyric to every track. It's yes. wild. It was crazy. I was there on the night that she did Exile. I'm sure you've seen the TikToks where the crowd was doing like the Bon Iver part. That's how you pronounce oh it. Oh right? my God. So they were like doing the. They were like singing the harmony, like call and like response with yes. her. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. It was bananas. Yeah. She also has. So I did an episode of the podcast about like gathering and creating great community, like bonding experiences with Priya Parker, who studies the art of gathering. Mm -hmm. And Taylor Swift checks so many of those boxes. So she's creating not only a concert, but an experience for people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really special. Things like Priya Parker talked about having like a dress code or a uniform to get people in the mood. And so Taylor Swift does that. People are showing up to her concerts dressed a specific way. The friendship bracelet trading, the little rituals around it. It's more than just a concert. Mm -hmm. I could talk about this for the entire podcast. Well, <laughs> the, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring it up is, you know, you talk about wellness and I want to get into like what your definition of wellness is and all of that. But you really highlight a lot of the things besides the green juice. I know you do your green smoothie in the morning and, you know, you talk about routines and all of these evidence-based, you know, tips that we can incorporate into our lives. But there's these other like more nuanced things that people don't really talk about. And one of those things is experience and like community and having fun in life. And I think that that gets overlooked so often in like the wellness world um, because people are so focused on kind of these like quantitative things, I want to say, and, 100%. you know, like these ritualized routines but it's so much more than that. So what is your definition of wellness now that you've been in the wellness game for so long? I think that wellness is anything that is helping us facilitate our best life, whatever our best life means to us. That's always gonna be really personal. The first tip in my new book is above all suffer less. And I think that sometimes in our pursuit of perfect wellness, we end up making our lives worse. And I always say that wellness is a tool, not an end unto itself. The second that wellness is making your life worse, it's no longer wellness. So if your to-do list is so long with all these like habits you feel like you're supposed to incorporate that you feel stressed out every day, that's not wellness. If you are skimping out on time with your friends and your community, which there's so much research to support our community being one of the key elements of wellness, but because it feels good, we're like, oh, that can't matter. That can't be important. And if you're skimping out on that to do all these habits or because you're worried about eating a few French fries out at a restaurant or something, that's no longer wellness either. So for me, we should always be evaluating what does our best life look like and then filling our lives with the tools that we need to get there. I have another tip in the book that's about find your why. And that's the idea that every single thing that we're incorporating, that we're adding to our lives, we should have a reason behind it. And that reason shouldn't be, oh, I saw somebody on like Instagram doing it. It should be, this is what I believe will happen when I incorporate this habit, when I incorporate this supplement, when I incorporate this food, and then actually seeing if that does happen before you're spending all this money and spending all this time and not getting anything out of mm -hmm. it. Yeah. You talk about the N1 N of one, yes. N of one. <laughs> an N of one experiment. That's just yeah. essentially running an experiment on yourself. So mm -hmm. there's all of the amazing research and studies. And I, I cite so many studies in my book. I'm like very big on the research and the science behind things. But ultimately, even if a study was super successful, you'll see that it didn't work for anybody. I don't think I've ever seen a study in my life where they're like 100% success, mm -hmm. right? You know? And so I think always, and that's why you hear stories of people who are like, that didn't work for me that does that mean that the science is wrong? It's like, no, it just doesn't work for 100% of people. We're all really individual and unique in our bodies and our composition, in our hormones, all these different things. And so doing a little experiment on yourself, I think can be really helpful and really tracking it, like acting like a scientist, writing down, what am I adding in? How do I feel today? Am I trying to alleviate my anxiety? So like, what are my anxiety levels throughout the day? You can also use tools like I have my aura ring. So I'm often doing sleep experiments and seeing how does this impact my sleep? What's my sleep score after I do this type of thing? You can have an Apple watch, a whoop, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And kind of conversely, like there are things that the research and science probably would say don't work that work work for really people. well absolutely I yeah mean, I feel like you know I've been 
big in my acupuncture era in the last six weeks. Although there's a ton of research to support acupuncture, yeah. But a lot of people say like, we don't really know how it works, but it really does. I Um, love that. I think there's something so fascinating about the fact that we're like, we know that there's so much left to explore and discover. Mm -hmm. I think about that with the microbiome all the time that we just discovered the microbiome and we have more bacterial cells in our body than we have human cells in our body. And we literally like didn't know that was true until like a few decades ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. We still have so much to learn. I can't remember where I heard recently that the furthest that we've gotten in like mapping the brain is the brain of a fruit fly. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing great. (laughs) Yeah. So like, so we still have a ways to go. This episode is brought to you by Saks.com. I get asked all the time where I draw my fashion inspiration from. And the answer is kind of twofold. One, I just have always had this pretty specific sense of personal style. And then two, I like to draw inspiration from new collections and pieces and put it all together for the ultimate wardrobe. And Saks.com is amazing for this because it has a for me section. So these super curated pieces specifically for me, that's always my first step. And then I like to go to their edits. Their edits are really great. I got so much from their fall fashion edit. I like to browse my favorite designers, but they also have some really amazing ways to shop. Like you can shop by need, whether you need a wellness reset, by vibe. If you want cozy vibes or maybe you want disco vibes, you can even shop by situation. You might want some revenge dressing or power suiting, or you can shop by trend like oversized everything, which you know I love, 90s revival, quiet luxury, and so much more. I just got some amazing Kate pieces. I'm very heavily into Kate right now. I got this gorgeous leather jacket that you probably saw on Instagram that I got at Saks.com. Also, some really cozy cardigans. They also have a great selection from The Row. There's a coat that I've been eyeing and so much more. Saks.com really has everything in one place. So if you are looking for inspiration or just to really pull together your wardrobe, head to Saks.com for new ways to shop for everything every day. You guys know that I do all the things when it comes to beauty, but I'm kind of at a point in my life right now where I am majorly scaling back on, let's say, the medical interventions, and I'm making modifications in my lifestyle that help me to maintain things like healthy, luminous skin, healthy hair. Obviously, I'm always looking for ways to support my sleep because I believe that that is where true anti-aging begins. And let me tell you this kind of lifestyle hack that I've incorporated recently that helps all of those things. And that is sleeping on a blissy silk pillowcase. So let me tell you why I think this is a micro habit that everybody should incorporate. So first of all, they are 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. And if you struggle to find that cool side of the pillow all the time, like I'm constantly flipping my pillow throughout the night, Blissy silk pillowcases are temperature regulating and they have naturally insulating properties. So if you sweat and overheat while you sleep, Blissy is a really simple solution. And then on top of that, it's so good for your hair. It reduces frizz, tangles, and prevents hair breakage. I've talked about this before, but I like to blow dry and essentially do my hair once. And then I like to sleep with my hair down and kind of have bedhead for like two, three, sometimes four days. But on a regular cotton pillowcase, it can get kind of like matted. And if I sweat or I get hot throughout the night, my hair can be kind of gross the next day. On the blissy pillowcase, no, I wake up and it is perfect. So it keeps the moisture in my hair. And then it also helps my skin because it keeps my skincare products and natural moisture on my skin because the silk does not absorb the moisture off of my face. So say goodbye to wrinkles, dry, flaky, red skin in the morning, and also wake up with healthier hair. So pretty much this is like the beauty lifestyle hack that we all need. 
Blissey silk pillowcases are the best silk pillowcases on the market. They have a ton of different prints and colors and they make great gifts because there's basically an option for anyone. Men love them too. And with the holidays coming up, this is also a really great gift. They have over 1.5 million raving fans and you could be next. So try now risk-free for 60 nights at blissy.com slash blonde files and get an additional 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash blonde files and use the code blonde files to get an additional 30% off. Give yourself the gift of a good night's sleep with Blissy. But something that you were saying before about the absence of suffering, what was it? Yeah, above all suffer less. Suffer less, which is like a very Buddhist philosophy, <laughs> right? And this is something that I've also been talking to my acupuncturist about. You're, I was listening to your solo and your acupuncturist sounds like a, a very wise person. It's a husband and wife. They've yeah. been doing it for 40 years. I feel They're like you go China. for needles, but you also go no, no. for like They're the my best friends. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just quote them all day to everybody. I have like two things to talk about in my life in the last two months, acupuncture Taylor and Taylor Swift. Swift. All right. So we're done now. Should we leave? But, but we talk a lot. And I think I talked about it in this episode too. We talk a lot about like how do we know when things are bad? And we were talking yesterday about suffering and how suffering comes from like desire. And I was talking about how I've been dealing with this issue. And for six weeks, I've been meditating on healing and I've been doing all the healing things and I've been journaling about healing and my emotions and like everything. And I said to her, like, I'm so exhausted and I feel like I'm holding on to it too tightly. Mm. And that, and she said, yeah, and that's creating suffering because like, that's not the state that you're in right now. Mm. And I think that we do that, you know, to what you were talking about before with wellness too. Like we suffer so much because of our desire for certain outcomes. So like we're working out because we want that body or we're eating this because we want that body or we want somebody else's life, you know, it's yeah. like there's a disconnect there. Yeah. I, I have two things about that. One, I think that my entire relationship with working, I, I have the find your why tip in my book. And I think that one of the things that I think is so important about a why is that the why be something that is really grounded in your goals. And I think sometimes we're just like, oh, I want my body to look a certain way. And if you follow, if you act like a two year old, like, well, why, why, why? And it's like, so people perceive me a certain way. And then you're like, well, do I perceive any of my friends based on how their abs look? And you kind of, it, it feels like a false goal. And I think it can be really hard to motivate ourselves with false goals. So for me, when I switched from trying to work out and like doing the ab check in the mirror when I was working out, but instead focusing on like, what does my mental health feel like on days that I work out? What's my sleep like on days that I work out? I was able to, feel much more motivated and actually stick to a workout routine for the first time in my life, which I did not start until my 30s consistently. And then the second thing is you saying that reminded me of one of the most helpful things with my anxiety. I read a book when I was agoraphobic, when I like was at the worst time in my anxiety. I could not get out of bed. And I read this book and I cannot for the life of me remember what it was called. And I've been trying to remember for years, <laughs> but it talked about how Panic attacks get worse when we try to push them away because we're mm -hmm. creating that tension with them. And one of the best things that you can do in moments of panic is to lean into it and mm -hmm. submit to it in a way. And ironically, that actually dissipates the anxiety. And I think that's kind of similar. You're By trying to push something away, we create this tension with it that can conversely make it stronger. And it's been so helpful in my moments of anxiety, but also in other facets of my life, this idea of leaning into it and relaxing into it and trying to find acceptance and peace without saying like, oh, I'm just going to feel anxiety forever because it just it takes some of the power out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To make it like very generic. It's like what you resist persists. persists. Yes. Which is like the <laughs> yes. simplest way to think about it. But yeah, I had a neuropsychologist on my podcast this last this week and the entirety of the episode was about leaning into the uncomfortable feelings that we try to avoid and how oftentimes like the life that we visualize for ourselves is on the other side mm -hmm. of that. But it's so hard to do in the moment. So when you were struggling with anxiety and we've talked about that period in your life before on my 
podcast. Yeah, our first episode together where yeah. we swapped. I feel like you were like, here's my really yeah. scary and dead story and I'll share my really scary and dead story. That's the best thing about podcasting yeah. though. Like, <laughs> that's like the first time we met though. It was like, here's like this really traumatic experience on your end and yeah. on my end. Yeah, and we share in some of our fears and, yeah. and traumas yes. for sure. But I like that. I like the kind of the automatic intimacy of like I having that. But it's just funny. You walk into a room with someone you've never met and you're like, so. <laughs> I know there's the SNL sketch that's like, you want to talk with somebody. I think it was like dads and sons. It was like, want to have a real conversation with your dad? Start a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> just put a podcast mic there. You can talk about your feelings for the first time ever. It's funny. Yeah, that's so true. But when you were in that period of your life, or even now, if you're dealing with anxiety, like what does that look like? What does leaning in look like for you? Because I think that we can hear that and be like, okay, mm-hmm. yes, but how do we actually practice that? Yeah, that's a great question. I want to talk really quickly first about the doing hard things because there's literally a tip in the book about why that is helpful, even on a really micro level, which is that it balances our dopamine. And I had Dr. Anna Lemke on the show, and she's a addiction expert at Stanford, and she studies dopamine. And she talked about how doing these like little hard things throughout our day can balance our dopamine levels and make us feel more motivation. And dopamine isn't quite related to pleasure, but it essentially makes us enjoy small moments in our lives more. So she talked about like carrying your groceries in the rain instead of thinking like, oh, this is horrible. Why is it raining when I'm trying to carry my groceries? You're thinking, oh, this is bringing my dopamine levels back into balance. It's countering me scrolling on my phone all of the time and all the dopamine hits that we get in our modern life. And that little reframe has made it so much more satisfying and easier for me to encounter those small moments of difficulty in my life. So I always love to share that. Mm-hmm. Leaning into my anxiety I think there's literally on the physical level, when I feel anxious, I start to track it around my physical self. So I'll be like, oh, my head's tingling a little bit. My palms are sweaty. My stomach feels nauseous. And I'll try to kind of fight those feelings. I'll be like, what can I do to make the nausea go away? Mm -hmm. How can I not have my head be tingling? And for me, instead, just being like, hmm, my palms are sweaty. That's interesting. Like, accepting it, getting curious about it instead of being like, oh, what what's happening? How do mm-hmm. I make this stop? So I think there's the physical element of it. And then interestingly, I think there's this mental element of sometimes when I feel anxious, I'm like, why do I feel anxious? What's going on in my life? I have to get to the bottom of this. And I don't find that helpful because my brain can always find reasons to be anxious. It'll be like, oh, well, Liz, in fact, you're anxious because of this, 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 and this. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, I got lots to be anxious about. But instead of just being like, oh, okay, I guess I feel anxious. I'll accept that I feel anxious without having to get to the bottom of that feeling, knowing that my anxious brain isn't going to be the most helpful self to address any real issue. So when Mm -hmm. I'm anxious, I just accept it. I just don't question it. And I take care of myself in that moment. I might go meditate. I might go watch Real Housewives of New York, which is my new comfort show. Mm -hmm. I might go on a walk around the block, which is really, really helpful. And then in the moments where I'm not feeling anxious, when I have my logical brain, that's when I'll try to like assess what's going on in my life. And I think we often conflate those two things and we try to solve the problems in our anxious brain. And that, for me at least, just leads to more problems. Yeah. And you talk in your book about action being the antidote to anxiety. And that's something that is really preached in the recovery world because it's like your thinking can't outthink your your thoughts that you're trying to outthink. You know what I mean? Like the same brain that's having the anxiety is not going to be able to overcome the oh, anxiety. So it's so interesting. And it's also like a DBT thing. You have so much, there's so much wisdom in the recovery world. Like it is, yeah. I feel like there's, are there recovery programs for people who don't need recovery programs? No, but I think there should be. There's so much wisdom. And like, I have pretty much everything I say as a result of (laughs) being in recovery. It's not, you know, my original thoughts, it's things that I've learned. Well, it's you processing all of Mm -hmm. the things that you're learning in recovery. Yeah. But it's, it's very action based. You know, it's like if I'm feeling uncomfortable, like, the way that I know to get relief is to like go help somebody else. And I know that you talk about this in your book too. And it's just like my thinking can't overcome my thinking. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's from research from Dr. Wendy Suzuki. She's at NYU. Um, She's a neuroscientist there. And she basically says that our brain needs something on a primal level to do with that anxiety. Like the anxiety in the past was trying to signal us to take action 
otherwise, what is the purpose of mm. it, essentially? Mm-hmm. And so we need to kind of mimic that action and use it to take action. And even if it's a really, really tiny action, I found, especially with those bigger anxiety things like, oh, I'm so anxious about writing this book. And then you write one page and you feel so much better. I'm so anxious about having this tricky conversation with a friend. You send the friend a text, you feel so much better. Anything that's kind of looming in your mind, I find that if you can even take it, I'm so anxious about the state of my house being so messy, which is when I run into a lot. (laughs) Just go like wash a few dishes, you feel so much better. And that's Mm -hmm. on a literal like biological, neuropsychological level that you're giving your brain what it's looking for in that moment, even if it's in a different way and in a microdose. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also kind of reminds me of another recovery thing, which is contrary action. So it's like doing the thing that you don't want to do to get the relief or to yeah. feel better. Yeah. Well, and it, isn't it like I feel like every time I've experienced that, it's built up so much larger in my brain. Mm-hmm. And then when I do it, I'm like, okay, that was not that bad. Mm-hmm. And me torturing myself for the last three days was so much worse than doing the actual thing. Yeah. Since we're talking a lot about wellness in this episode, I want to talk about the foundation to my wellness. And that is, of course, sleep. I feel like this is truly where it all begins for me because when I am sleeping well, I feel like my cognition is on point, my energy is on point, my skin is on point. So many things, my mood, my appetite, everything feels really balanced. Whereas if I am not sleeping well, All of those things kind of unravel. I really feel it. So I practice good sleep hygiene, which for me means getting off my phone at a reasonable time. I am not really in front of a screen. I like to do my skincare. I have these kind of nighttime rituals. I like to read before bed. I'm cognizant of the light around me. And then, of course, I drink my magnesium latte. So it's kind of shocking. 70 million Americans have chronic sleep issues. And 50% of Americans deal with sleep deprivation. And I'm sure everybody listening has dealt with this at some point in their lives too. And I know how difficult it can be. And then so many other health issues stem from this. So I drink the Shut Eye Chai from Ned every night. I have showed on my Instagram how I make it, but basically I just mix it with some macadamia milk. And I like to drink it cold, although as we're moving into colder weather. I am going to start drinking it hot too. You can do whatever works for you. Basically, it is a mellow super blend latte for sleep. So it combines adaptogens, aminos, functional mushrooms, and magnesium, really the best ingredients out there, all wrapped in this heavenly masala chai inspired spiced body. So think cinnamon, clove, ginger, all that good stuff. Perfect for fall. And it doesn't just set you up for amazing sleep. It has things like chaga, reishi, and ashwagandha, which are deeply nourishing to your body. So you're getting a ton of additional benefits. It helps calm your nervous system. It helps to nourish your senses and basically send you peacefully off into dreamland. I like to drink it about, I would say an hour before bed, just so that I'm not getting up in the middle of the night, but I've never had an issue with that. And since I am talking about Ned and since in this episode, we're talking about anxiety and fear of flying, I just have to throw out this pointer here. So I take the Ned de-stress blend CBD whenever I'm flying and I have to say, I am just so relaxed. So that is another thing for you guys to check out. Ned has incredible products. They have so much integrity. Their products are so thoughtful. They share third-party lab reports who farms their products, their extraction process, and everything else there on their website. So definitely go check them out. And you can discover how Shut Eye Chai can revolutionize your sleep and get 15% off with the code BLONDE. Go to helloned.com slash blonde or enter the code BLONDE at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash blonde to get 15% off. My approach to my health is pretty simple. I focus on things that I consider to be 
foundational for optimal health. And then I have a lot of flexibility within that. So I don't like to be really rigid. I just have little habits and actions that I have incorporated into my life, into my wellness routine over the last many years that I have found to really support my optimal well-being. And one of those, of course, is starting my day with AG1. If you have been listening to the show for a long time or following me for a long time, you probably know I've been drinking AG1 for about five years, which is pretty crazy. So I initially started taking it because I was having some gut issues. And that is how AG1 came to fruition. A lot of people don't know the backstory, but the founder was having really bad gut issues. He was taking tons of supplements and not finding any relief. And so the first iteration of AG1 was born. And since then, they have continuously refined their formula to basically create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. So it's really this foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs. So not only gut optimization, but things like stress management and immune support. And it's so funny because I was just back in New York. I went to Rhode Island for the weekend. I was visiting my parents and they had AG1 in their fridge. And they're not the only ones. I have so many friends that have incorporated this into their routine as well, because it really is this micro habit that replaces the need to take a ton of supplements. I know that a lot of people have supplement overwhelm and they don't know what to take or when to take it. So this is one really simple thing that you can incorporate into your own routine that has so many benefits. So AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why they've been a partner for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash blonde files. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash blonde files. Check it out. Can you talk about temptation bundling? This is something that I heard you talk about on your podcast. Yeah. I know this is also in your book. And for everyone listening, if you're like a hundred ways, this book, oh my God, that's too much. No, it's broken down in such a manageable way. And then you also refer back to like the podcast episodes Mm -hmm. that people can listen to. It's just very smart, very smart and really easy. It's like so many tangible tips and it's easy to apply. But temptation bundling, this is like a novel thing for me. I I love this concept. So can you explain it to everybody? Yes, I love it too. And yes, the book is not meant to, you can read it straight through if you want to and then pick and choose the tips that apply to you. But I picture it a lot more something that you sit out on a coffee table and you flip through it when you need motivation or you use it as part of a morning routine and you kind of pick and choose. You don't need to go straight through. You can go to the like how to live longer section and then you can go to the how to uplevel your relationship section. You really you can use the, I picture it as something that you'll you'll use the tools that you need at different phases of your life. Mm -hmm. Temptation Bundling is from Dr. Katie Milkman. I am obsessed with her. She is a behavioral scientist. She's done so much incredible research. So this is based around the idea that if we take things that we really want to do, but have a hard time convincing ourselves to do, and we combine them with something that we love to do, we can make those things a little bit easier for ourselves. So for me, working out is one of the prime examples in which I use temptation bundling. If I save my very favorite podcast for the times that I work out and I can only listen to those podcasts when I work out, I'm so much more likely to do my workout because I want to know what's going on in my favorite podcast. And you can do it for paying your taxes. You can get yourself like a fun little treat. You can do it for so many different things in your life that are hard for you to get yourself to do. The key is you save the favorite thing for only when you're doing the task that you want to accomplish that's hard for you to get. So you can only get the silly little drink when you're doing the paperwork that you don't want to be doing. Mm. You can only watch your favorite TV show when you're folding the laundry, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. What do you, what do you, do you have a task that you'd want a temptation bundle? Mm-hmm. What's hard for you these days? Actually, I'm curious. Like what Everyth- habits? Everything. <laughs> what habits do you, are um, you having a hard time incorporating? Let's see. It's not so much habits that I have a hard time incorporating. It's more habits that I don't want to do as much. Like 
obviously screen time is like a constant struggle. Sometimes I'm great. Sometimes I'm not. I think that's just the nature of it. I do have good boundaries and that like I'm not generally on it in the evening, like after dinner or anything. Yeah. I used to try to like impose limits in the morning, but I find that sometimes I wake up and that's when I'm like at my most creative and energetic and feel like doing that kind of work and editing things and like thinking of ideas for content. But then you're creating. I think there's something so different that happens in our brain when we're creating versus consuming. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you need to be a creator to experience that. Like I think sometimes when we're feeling really ick from just taking in other people's content over and over, if we just go and write something, free write ourselves, or Mm -hmm. we go draw something, or we go make up a little dance, just anything that gets us into the creating headspace instead of the consuming headspace, Mm -hmm. I think can feel really good. Yeah, I'm not much of a consumer, to be honest. That's amazing. Social media. Sometimes if I'm just like kind of mindlessly scrolling, I can fall into that a little bit. But for the most part, like I don't really consume. Wait, so can I ask, this is one of my number one questions. I ask everybody who is able to stay off social media, what do you do with your interstitial time? I feel like it's half of why I wrote this book because I was like, I want something to read while like the pasta is boiling where I can get a whole experience in that five minute period because that's Mm -hmm. when I reach for my phone and that's when I have a hard time not reaching for my phone. So what do you do in those little, those little chunks of time? I listen to podcasts. And do you just listen to them in like little tiny chunklets? No, like if I'm cooking dinner or something. Okay. So then you're just, the pasta water's boiling. You're just kind of standing there staring at space and listening to your podcast. Or I'm like doing something else or listening to a podcast. Sometimes I'll like get on and I'll check my email or something like that, but I'm not like much of a scroller. TikTok, I never scroll ever, ever. Um, (laughs) And I know that's like the most addictive because I oh, think it so has the addictive. best content. But for the most part, I just go on to like make my content and then I get off. Um, and Instagram, like there's a few people who are always in the top little bubbles of stories and I'll watch those occasionally. But other than that, I don't know. I play New York Times Connections. That's my. <laughs> What's that? Oh, my gosh. Do you play Spelling Bee? No. Oh my God. Should I? Oh my God. <laughs> I love spelling. You're about to travel your interstitial time. Things yeah. like misspelled. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, New York Times Connections, it's like a five minute game. Okay. But sometimes it takes longer. So then I like go back to it during the day. I think it's 16 words in a little box, and you just have to group them together in groups of four. Okay. But they try to trick you. So (laughs) (laughs) some of them are really easy and some of them are much harder. So you're just grouping the words together. Okay. Spelling bee is... Spelling words. It it looks like a little like honeycomb. Okay. And it's maybe eight letters, I think, with a letter in the middle. And you have to make as many four letter or more words, including the letter in the middle, as you can. So it's and spelling you can reach genius bee, level. Like so I'm like honeycomb genius. bee. Yeah, like spelling. It's trying bee, to be like a yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cute. Yeah. It's like in the same, you know, wordle, yeah, yeah, yeah. wordle. But spelling bee, I'll do as many as I can in the morning and then I'll go back to that throughout the day because I have to get to the level of genius. Otherwise <laughs> I'm very upset. So I do those. Like, I don't know. I just I do putter around on my phone, but I'm not so much like looking at content. Yeah. I love that. I actually think that figuring out things that are just as fun too is helpful because I think sometimes we're like, I'm not going to scroll on social media. I'm going to read this really intense, hard book. And it's like, Mm -hmm. of course, you're not going to actually be able to stick to reading the intense, hard book. You're going to go back to scrolling. So I think what you've done that's really smart is finding things that are equally enjoyable for Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And I do feel like it's not always good. Like, as you know, there's always work that you can do. And so sometimes when I do have that time, I'm like, oh, I got to like catch up on my emails and I have to do this for this scheduling or I have to edit this thing or I can get ahead on my ads for next week. Like there's just always something. There is. But (laughs) to what end? That's something I've also been wondering Mm -hmm. a lot is I remember even when I was in my office job, it was like, oh, I have to get this presentation done by the end of the day. I have to write this article by the end of the day. I have to send all these emails. And I think sometimes just asking like, well, do I? (laughs) Am I putting this pressure? And sometimes it's actually external pressure. And also sometimes that's a boundary conversation you could have with your boss. But sometimes it's internal pressure. And I don't know. I'd I'd sit there and be like, do I actually? And I've been doing that more with myself recently. Like, is this just pressure I'm putting on myself or is this something I actually need to be doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely put the urgency on myself. Yeah. I mean, there are certain things throughout the week where I do have like hard deliverable times and deadlines. 
but like I've always gotten it done in time. <laughs> but every week I'm like, oh God. And I am a procrastinator. I work a little bit better under pressure. So I will save a, sorry to my managers, I'll save a sponsored shoot or something till like the day that I have to <laughs> submit. Did you but, see the tip in the book about artificially limiting your time? Yes, I wrote that one down and I wanted to talk to you about that's that. That's one of my favorite ones. <laughs> yeah, so explain that one. That's from Chris Bailey and there's real research on this, which is just based around the idea that we can do more in our time if we limit the time that we have. And I think mm-hmm. we've all experienced this where you procrastinate, you leave something to the last minute and then you're like, oh, wow, this thing that I thought was going to take four hours actually took an hour and a half because I literally only had an hour and a half to do it. Mm -hmm. A lot of the four-day work week research that's happening right now is based around the idea of artificially limiting your time. So there's a few reasons. One, we tend to misestimate the amount of time that it actually takes to do things. Two, it gets rid of that procrastination. Like I think creating a sense of urgency can be really helpful. So I suggest to people, for people, if they want to try artificially limiting their time, I've done it myself. It's so, so helpful. Just take an activity. Like it's going to take me an hour to clean my house. Give yourself a half an hour and see how much you get done. If it's Mm going to take you know, two hours to finish this project, be like, I'm giving myself one hour. And I think it's such a cool trick because one, usually we do actually accomplish all the things that we want to do in that artificially limited time and the science supports that we will do so. But two, you're getting all this time back. And I would also encourage people to not use that time to add in more stuff to their to-do list, but Mm -hmm. instead to say like, this is essentially bonus time. What can I do with this that will really restore and replenish and make me feel the way I want to feel? I feel like a lot of us are just uncomfortable with free time. Mm. I don't know how you feel about that. But, you know, you hear a lot about this like hustle culture, urgency culture, do more, not less. And, you know, maximizing our times that we can do more and all of that. And I feel like maybe it's an overgeneralization, but just like as a society, like there's not like much of an emphasis on like how to enjoy your life, like your free time. No, I think that's a really acute observation. I wonder how much of it has to do with the way that we get value is so much based on other people's assessment of our worth Mm -hmm. and to enjoy your own time when you're not producing, when you're not contributing to the greater system, when you're not being praised and validated. You really have to have an internal sense of self-worth that Mm -hmm. you are worth your time. And I Mm -hmm. think that's hard work to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you definitely seem to know how to enjoy your time. (laughs) You really seem to have balance. And I know that it's something that you work on. And I feel like you've really kind of carved out the life that you want. Like you're very intentional about the way that you live. And it seems like you're really good at kind of taking all of this information that you learn and doing what we were talking about in the beginning, applying the things that work for you. I'm sure other pet parents can relate, but nothing makes me happier than seeing my dog happy. And Harvey is always happiest when he is eating, especially when he's eating a food that he absolutely loves that I feel really good about as well. And that is Sundays. So Sundays is air-dried dog food made from a short list of human-grade ingredients. It was co-founded by a practicing veterinarian. It contains 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and 0% synthetic nutrients. So besides USDA beef and all-natural chicken, you'll find digestive aids like pumpkin and ginger, plus disease-fighting antioxidants. So wellness isn't just for people. Wellness is for dogs too. And dog parents report noticeable health improvements in their dogs, including softer fur, fresher breath, better poops, more energy. I have noticed all of the above in Harvey. And he was having some gut issues there for a minute. And I really think that the digestive aids in Sundays really helped him. The pumpkin, the ginger, the antioxidants, he just seems to be really thriving on it. And like I said, he gets so excited around mealtime, which is 
something that every dog parent wants to see. So unlike other fresh dog food, Sundays is zero prep, zero mess, and zero stress. It's shelf stable, which makes it easy to feed your dog top quality food. And every order ships right to your door. So you never have to worry about running out of dog food again. Sundays costs 40% less than other healthy dog food brands because Sundays doesn't waste money shipping frozen packages. Instead, they spend on what matters, which is sourcing the best all natural ingredients for your dog. And we worked out a special deal for my dog loving listeners. You can get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Just go to to sundaysfordogs.com slash blonde or use the code blonde at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S dot com forward slash blonde. Upgrade your pup to Sundays and feel good about the food you feed your dog. So what are some of your habits? Like what are some of the tips from the book or the concepts from the book that you have found to be the most beneficial for you? So I'd say the number one that has been beneficial in terms of what you're talking about, in terms of bringing that sense of intentionality to my life, it's actually the third tip in the book. It's one of the ones I really want everybody to read before they move on to anything else. I'm like, pick and choose through the book, but read the first three tips because they help frame the rest of the tips, which is think about your death, which sounds morbid, but Stoicism. (laughs) Yeah, I really do think, I think if we zoom out and we say, what's going to matter to me when I'm 85, 90, 120, I don't know how long people are going to live these days, (laughs) when I'm at the end of my life and I'm looking back in my life and I think it gives me such an immense sense of perspective of what I want my life to look like, both in like, these are the things that don't really matter that I'm stressing about, but also like I'm, I've struggled with a fear of flying for a really, really, really long time. And I like to say that I'm not afraid of flying anymore, just as a thing to tell myself. But it's definitely, I could be more thrilled to get on a plane. (laughs) (laughs) Can I tell you, I may have told you this last time, but I downloaded that episode that you did with the pilot like a couple years ago. And whenever I'm flying and I like get that fear, because I never was afraid either. And then in 2020, I didn't even have a particularly like turbulent flight or anything, but I started to have a panic attack and it's like it dropped a pin in my brain that this is unsafe. Mm. And so for a couple years, like 2020, 2021, maybe part of 22, I was like Mm. so anxious to fly and I would listen to that. And (laughs) the thing that I found so funny about that episode was when you asked him about turbulence, he could not have been more like dismissive almost, right? (laughs) He was like, I mean, I couldn't, (laughs) I was picturing him just doing the biggest eye roll. Like you've got to be fucking kidding me. If it helps too. (laughs) So I did pre-interviews with a couple of different pilots before that episode. And so many of them couldn't even give a good interview because they couldn't comprehend why anybody would be afraid of this thing. And I found that kind of helpful unto itself where they just like couldn't even, they were like, it's so like, why am I answering these questions? Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was like kind of how his yeah, attitude he was, was. And he was the laugh. least of anybody. It's <laughs> like, why are you worried about this that's, very scientifically safe thing? Yeah, that's um, very reassuring. And I'm like, because I have childhood trauma. <laughs> Can we work on that? Which is what the other half of the episode is about. Uh-huh. Um, so if, when I'm afraid of flying and I'm thinking about my death, but not in the context of the plane crashing. I'm thinking I want to be the kind of person who lived a big life that's filled with adventure and understanding how I can craft an identity that I'm going to be proud of at the end of my life is the thing that keeps me getting on planes more than anything else. I can give all the statistics about turbulence and why planes have never crashed from it. And (laughs) I have all of these facts in my brain, but the idea that I want to be a person who lives a life that includes exploring an adventure is so, so helpful for me. So Mm -hmm. I'd say I have a lot of tips in the book that are like helpful in a little way, like micro walks and my circ walks and cold showers. And I have one about rewiring your neurons for happiness. But thinking about your death is sort of an overarching one that I've just found so helpful in moment to moment crafting a life that I feel satisfied to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the memento mori? In memento mori. Memento mori. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the flying thing just for a second and then yeah. we'll move on. Um, I have, I, I can give you, I can talk about flying as much as I can talk about Taylor Swift. I can too because <laughs> I read all the books and I did all the courses and I had 
therapy sessions with a former commercial pilot who now has a fear of flying program. <laughs> Captain Tom Dunn. Yeah, from SOAR. Yeah. Yep. Did you talk to him too? <laughs> <laughs> but something that he said was like, you can know all of the stats. I can tell you everything about how safe it is and how there's a backup for the backup for the backup for the backup. And you can know all of these things. But when you get up there and your body, your nervous system is reacting to unfamiliar sounds and sensations, that's going to override all of the facts and the statistics that you know. And so his whole thing is like, you have to learn how to combat the stress response, not with knowledge, but with like feeling. Yeah. And I think that that thinking about what is what life do I want to live? What am I doing right now? Like, where am I going? That's like contributing to this life that I want to build. Or am I going to see family or going to see friends or going to travel? Like, how is this enriching my life? And it's something that I'm going to look back on and be so like excited about. I think that probably can pretty effectively counteract that stress response, I would think. That's something that I've done in fear of flying therapy that I've done is they'll have you picture like getting off the plane and what you're excited about at your destination. And that is really helpful. And it also goes with the tip in the book about reframing the experiences we have. So excitement maps really well with anxiety. Mm. And if we can reframe anxiety because what's happening on a physical, biological level is essentially the same as excitement, Mm -hmm. then sometimes it can be helpful in managing that. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. So I think that where is the flying getting? Like you're on the plane for a reason, you know? Mm -hmm. I also found recently one of my therapists said, like, aren't you glad you're not in control? Because you wouldn't be very good at flying this plane. Yeah, my toxic trait is thinking that I know everything better. (laughs) I know everything about every kind of cloud. I need to be on cloud watch. (laughs) Have you seen that cloud out the Are you paying attention That looks like a cumulonimbus. (laughs) We're actually not allowed to be within two miles of that per FAA law. But I found it to be almost like a helpful exercise in... I'm as a person like very controlling It's where a lot of my anxiety is rooted. And I'm like, this is a chance for me to practice letting go of control. And that's Mm -hmm. been really helpful for me too. Yeah. And like you can get on there and you don't have to do anything. Like you can just chill. Well, (laughs) you can. (laughs) Try to chill. Yeah. Okay. So we have a few minutes left. I did want to talk to you a little bit more about your routines and, you know, the Cirque walk. This is something I don't do a walk, but I've been doing a We'll call it a Cirque breath work where I go out first thing in the morning, get that sunlight or natural light, and I do my breath work. And so I'm out there for like 10 or 15 minutes. Wait, I have a question for you because you are so fastidious about your skin. Mm -hmm. Do you put on sunscreen for that time or no? No. <laughs> okay. I don't either. But I just curious. It's something yeah. I'm always that like, should I like be? my 20 minutes, I guess, yeah. of like yeah. pure vitamin D. Okay. But oftentimes too, like here on the west side of LA, like it's very it's overcast foggy, anyway. Yeah. So I know you can still get sun damage and that. But but no, for the most part, I just get out of bed, go out there. And I had heard always, you know, oh, it's like so good for your circadian rhythm. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like my sleep is good. No. No. The difference it has made in becoming naturally tired, like around bedtime and falling asleep and staying asleep and sleeping longer. Mm-hmm. And the quality has been shocking. It is me. shocking. And it's also so interesting to me because it's not just our sleep. Our circadian rhythm, our biological clock impacts almost every single cell in our entire body. Mm. So I think of it as less a sleep miracle, although it is definitely that. And it's so helpful for energy during the day and being able to manipulate that clock. So like if you go out around dusk, you're actually going to delay your sleep clock, which can be really helpful for fighting jet lag and things like that. But I think of it as a multivitamin for my entire body. It's going to impact your hormones, your microbiome, all those little bacteria in your gut are functioning on a biological clock. So by telling them what time it is, they're going to be able to function more optimally. And then you're going to literally have better gut health as a result of spending 10 to 20 minutes outside as close to when you wake up and when the sun comes up as possible. Mm -hmm. I also don't think I call it a Cirque Walk and my community does little Cirque Walks with me and I absolutely love it. But I've been doing, I've been really, really busy lately. I've been in LA on press tour. So I've been doing what I call Cirque work, mm-hmm. where I'll just take my computer yeah. outside and I'll work on my computer for 10 to 20 minutes in the morning. I think you can do so. I had doctors that I interviewed who just brushed their teeth outside. Mm-hmm. Some is better than nothing. And anything you can do outside in the morning is really, really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. 
Cirque Breakfast. Cirque I like Breakfast. Yeah, a hundred percent. You're like Taylor Swift doing creating community and doing these. <laughs> <laughs> thank you okay, I'm just gonna walk just out of the room, room now <laughs> the end everybody <laughs> it's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me <laughs> yeah you're like building this community you do have such a strong community and creating things that people can do together that's always been kind of your brand right that's healthier brand. together and then you've rebranded which is I want to talk to you about that offline <laughs> I've been trying I told to you I was gonna do it like a while forever. ago and yes. I was like you should go for it mm-hmm. yeah we can talk about it yeah. but I I think you I think you are a strong enough brand podcast whatever that you can be whoever you want to be mm-hmm. in your life Thank and you. in your podcast cover <laughs> I feel like it's just it's scary kind of I've pigeonholed myself a little bit, I think, because, you know, if I'm trying to get a Harvard, I don't know, physicist on my show and they're like the blonde files. No, the fuck? Who like, who is this? Yeah. You know, (laughs) but that's a conversation for a different time. So since you have been, you know, really immersed in this world for so many years and you're so curious and you've compiled so much data, both in your books and just from your podcast. And it's amazing how you just can reference a doctor or a study or, you know, you have such a wide breadth of knowledge when it comes to all of these things. Is there anything in the wellness world that you see a lot that you don't think really carries any validity or does Mm. it just go back to that like bio-individual thing where like maybe things work for some people and don't work for others? Like, but is there any trend or anything that you're just like, I don't know about that? I think there's an over-focus on things that we can buy Mm -hmm. and an under-focus on things that we can do. I think that there's a lot of individual products that I could probably look at and say that maybe that's helping you. And if it is, great. And if you're having a placebo effect, even that's great. Mm -hmm. It's still having an effect. But we are like, we we all want the like, I just took this pill and now I feel so much better. Mm -hmm. And the internet definitely wants us to think that we can just take this pill and feel so much better. I worked really hard to make the book I think almost entirely free. I actually don't think there's a single tip that you need to purchase anything for. And I really want people to feel empowered by the tools that are at their disposal without having to like, buy some trendy thing. I will say anytime you feel like something's trendy, it's because somebody's trying to sell you something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just something to be aware of generally. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure everybody is asking you this question, but what is the number one thing from your book that you feel was the most impactful for you? So because of the structure of the book, it changes all of the time. Mm-hmm. Like there are times where my relationship with my husband, Zach, feels a little bit lackluster. And then I'll literally go to the relationship tip section and I'll apply one and I'll be like, oh, okay, this is so helpful. It's like, how did I forget what it was like to feel connected in this Mm -hmm. way? Sometimes I had really, really, really bad gut issues a little bit back and I was way Mm -hmm. more reliant on the gut health tips at that time. So it's really, I pick and choose based on what I'm feeling at the time. Right now, I'm loving the tip about rewiring your neural pathways, which I referenced a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. And that's based on research from Dr. Rick Hansen, who I really love. I want him to be my uncle so badly. (laughs) He just has the gentlest energy in Mm -hmm. the world. But he's a psychologist at UC Berkeley. And he has this research around the fact that basically, if you picture your brain like a meadow, And you're creating paths in that meadow. And every time you think a thought that's like stressed out or like, I hate myself so much or why am I so dumb? You're creating a path in that meadow. And when you're going to take a hike, you're not going to walk through the tall grass. You're going to walk through the path that's been carved. So what you can do to create paths that are happier, that feel good, that are the types of thoughts that you want to think is you can sit on moments that you notice feel good. You can linger in them a little bit longer and you can amplify them. So if I'm sitting with you and I'm like, this is a really interesting conversation. I'm loving it. I can literally notice that. I can sit in it a little bit longer, sit in that feeling and then turn that feeling up in my body. And what that does is it literally creates a new pathway in that meadow. Mm. So the next time that your brain goes to think a thought, that pathway is more defined and it's going to think a good thought. So you're going to tend less towards stress. You're going to tend less towards self-criticism and all of these things. And I love it because it's free. Mm -hmm. You can do it all of the time without even noticing. And you're priming your brain in a real neuroscience sense to create these new neural connections. You're creating new neural pathways that are going to make you feel 
better in moments throughout the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. I love that one too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm loving this conversation. So I'm going to sit in this Amplify. <laughs> You're just quiet for a second. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on again. And I think it's just such an incredible book and the way that you've compiled everything. You really have a talent for that. And you've done the research, you know, and the podcast is amazing, too. You've rebranded right to the Liz Moody, the Liz Moody podcast. Yeah. So everybody check that out, too. You can get all of this information more in depth and tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah. So I'm easy. I'm Liz Moody.com. I'm Liz Moody on Instagram and TikTok. I'm the Liz Moody podcast. We have two episodes with Ariel. So if you want to go listen to those and then my new book is called 100 Ways to Change Your Life. Again, it's not an intimidating book. It's meant to be flipped through. It's meant to be digested in like five to 10 minute increments. And we have 18 sections with different ways to change all the different parts of your life. And you always get the science and then you get an action tip. And I really wanted to share the science, but then also like, what do I actually do to Mm -hmm. apply this to change my life? So I'm really proud of it. I love that. Yeah. And it's a good like morning routine book. That's what I pictured it before. We're like, I don't know. I'm sure everybody knows like the Daily Stoic where it's like a page or two. Yeah. You could do that. It's like three pages maybe per idea or concept. And it's you can just sit so there. It's so nice and that you say like, that. Yeah, and That's you, like how we conceptualize it. We were like, yeah. when we, even when we were designing the cover, I was like, I want to be able to picture somebody taking a picture of their morning routine mm-hmm. and having this book be part of it. So it's that's the highest like, compliment. Yes. After very, Taylor. I mean, I was going to say the book looks incredible. Thank you. My it's husband like, designed aesthetic. it. He did? Yeah. Wow. It was not intended to be that way, but uh, that's how it ended that's up. amazing. Yeah. Very you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. You can go to ariellaurie.com. And I'm always posting about each episode over on my personal page at ariellaurie. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.